Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And we have a very special guest today, a very special episode, um, with a guest joining us kind of from long-distant communication availabilities. But we'd like to wa- extend a warm welcome to Dr. Michael Dauphiné. Uh, Dr. Dauphiné, welcome to Outcast Catholic. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, we're very excited about kind of a new initiative that you and Dr. Michael uh, Matthew Levering have just launched with the Word on Fire Institute. Uh, your new book has just come out, The Wisdom of the Word, uh, Biblical Answers to Ten Pressing Questions about Catholicism. Uh, what an exciting project this must have been for you. Yeah, it was a real labor of love. Uh, I think we've, uh, in our own theological work, have had a great love of the Bible, uh, and in many ways, always wanted our theology to be of service to a renewal of the church. And so we saw and we see a crisis in the church, and we follow that. Uh, Bishop Barron uh, said that right, young people are quitting the church because they no longer believe in the teaching of classical Christianity. So the crisis in the church is ultimately a crisis of faith. And what we wanted to contribute is that crisis of faith is in many ways a crisis in belief in the word of God in the Bible. Um, And that crisis is rooted for many people that they don't really understand what the Bible means or how it can be interpreted or how it can be received. It's like a foreign language that nobody really understands or so many people don't understand anymore. So what we try to do in this book is try to show that it's actually meaningful and intelligible and that, yes, it's a little confusing uh, and it's, it covers a huge amount of history and culture, but that the fundamental story in the Bible is ultimately a true story and is ultimately a story right, of God's love for us. And when we learn to listen to the Bible as true, we learn to let go of our own stories about ourselves, right? our own stories about ourselves that, that, you know, or that the culture tells us. And we begin to find a truer story in the Bible. Thanks for that explanation. It's really helpful. Working with high school kids and then even just being a kind of a younger millennial myself, so many people have those questions and are are seeking maybe not even explicitly the truth, but have those deeper questions. So I love that the book is set up with these, each chapter is a question so that it's really addressing, okay, what does the scriptures have to say to this question that people are asking frequently? Um Shane, you're holding the text right there. What are what are some of those questions that just kind of pop out? Well, sure. I mean, there's very relevant questions here that uh, you know this this text is really trying to unpack. You know, why believe in God in the first place? Why listen to the church? Does the Holy Spirit actually transform us? You know, why care for the poor? Why is the church so strict about sex? Why are Catholics always fighting with yeah. each other? You know, I I just I love that that it's addressing these questions because people have these questions, but they're not always pointed out. They're not always articulated. And then the church isn't able to answer them because we're not really sure what the young people are asking. So I love this is just kind of getting after those questions that are there at the heart of so many people who are feeling really outcast, disaffiliated from the church. Maybe even some of our listeners, some of these questions in this text are probably touching right in your life of where you've been seeking the truth in the midst of a confusing world. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what we found as well, right? These are questions that we ourselves asked. 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I in some ways was, I grew up in a Christian Catholic home, went, uh, received the sacraments, uh, and then stopped believing in God. You know, it was just like that. And, uh, and then later came back to faith. And so I also understand what it's like to ask these questions. Um, we have family members, friends who have kind of distanced themselves from the church. And so these are legitimate questions that people have. And one thing we try to communicate both in the book, but I think also just in my own uh, life in terms of talking with people is that, right, um, we have to let go of, uh, I think sometimes when people, especially when younger people grow up in a Catholic environment, uh, sometimes they can almost feel ashamed when they begin to ask questions or begin to really wonder about things. And so then they, because they feel ashamed, they don't ask them. And because they don't ask them, they don't get answers. And then they just begin to wander more away. And so what we want to do is try to make explicit those questions so that people can say, yeah, it is weird that the God of the universe would care what I do on a Friday night or care what I do on a Sunday morning, right? It, that does feel weird. And we ought to kind of say, it's okay to ask that question, right? But questions also deserve answers, right? So if we're genuinely asking the question, then we can also see, you know, lo and behold, the Bible often asks some of those same questions, right? Psalm 8 says beautifully, right, what is man that you are mindful of them, or the son of man you, you care for him, right? The Bible says, why do you care about us, Lord? But then it says, it also answers it, though, right, by saying that, you know, for you have made him little less than the angels, right? You've crowned him with glory and honor. So we recognize that these questions are often asked by the Bible, and they can be answered by the Bible. So that sense of questioning is wonderful, but questioning ought to lead us to seek answers. Oh, true. Uh, Psalm 8 is beautiful, isn't it? Um you 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 know speak of these questions, and you and Dr. Levering have just woven together uh, a real kind of beautiful tapestry of all these different scripture citations that answer these questions really profoundly and speak of God's revelation of Himself and offer and also the salvation that He offers to us by addressing each of these questions very um, very poignantly. But of course, there it kind of begs the question, you know. Well, why believe in the Bible in the first place, right? Mm. Um, obviously, there's kind of a cultural respect that still lingers in the air with, yeah, the Bible's an important work. Um, but, you, you, you know, Dr. Dauphiné, would you say a little bit about speaking into those realities of people who say, well, I don't know that I can actually believe the Bible is, in, is the inspired word of God, or I don't know that we could actually have access to interpreting it correctly today. So in using the Bible to answer all these pressing questions of believers or non-believers today, how do we know that we can actually stand on that as a foundation? Yeah, I think that's an, that's an excellent question. And I do think a lot of people genuinely struggle to, uh, or they may have some sense that historical sco uh, scholars disagree about certain topics. And so what we want to do is partly we begin with some of the great figures, so even like Pope Benedict, right, who writes at the beginning of his Jesus of Nazareth, he simply says, I trust the Gospels, mm. right? And, and we have to kind of say, wait a second, if I want to learn a language, I first have to believe that it is meaningful. I may not know it yet, right? And so there is an aspect of, do I genuinely trust that there may be wisdom here? Uh, and I think a lot of people find that they don't believe in the Bible, mainly in a way because when they've tried to pick up the Bible or when they've heard stories about the Bible, they haven't been able to find meaning in it. Right. They find just um, kind of uh, a lot of uh, disconnected or disjointed points. And so another way of looking at it is that we have to once you begin to show that the Bible is meaningful, it's easier to believe that it's truthful. So you can look at there's a line from the catechism uh, that says that Christianity is not a religion of the book, 
it's a religion of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, true. But Christianity is a religion with a book, right. right? And so we have to say that if we genuinely want to encounter the teachings of really revelation of God and Jesus Christ, then the Bible is kind of a definitive moment. Yes, always with the church, from the church. Ultimately, if there's no church, there's no Bible, right? The Bible, the church gives us the Bible. So, but we also want to have a certain sense that the church does give us the Bible. So therefore we can also draw attention to it. Um, Another great Psalm is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now it's beautiful to know that Psalm, right? But it's even more beautiful to know the shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. And yet on the other hand, I wouldn't know that there is a shepherd of the universe behind the universe without the psalm. So I also need to know the psalm in order to know the shepherd. And I think sometimes it's just helpful to remind ourselves that without the Bible, there's no revelation of God's mercy, right? When I see the universe, I see either a sense of hopelessness, endlessness, a, a universe that doesn't seem to care about me, or... I simply see every a strict notion of give and take, a strict notion of justice. So it's actually when God, uh, and we tell this in the book, uh, but in, you know, in Exodus 33 and 34, when Moses is on the mountain with God, he says, God, show me your glory. God passes by. And you know what he says to him? He says, he'd already told him that he is the creator. But then he says to him, I am the Lord, merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. At the heart of the Old Testament revelation to Moses is that God is merciful. And then at the heart of the New Testament revelation in Jesus Christ is that God is merciful. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. So what I try to suggest in the book in a way is what we try to suggest, if you doubt the Bible, okay, but let's look at its real message. And then saying, do you want to do you want to be in a world in which everything is meaningless or in which there's only strict justice? Or do you think that there's something better about the world in a way when we discover God's mercy revealed in the Old Testament, God's mercy perfected in the new? That's really helpful because especially in this like post-Christian experience society we live in, so many people they want mercy, they want, you know, just be kind is kind of all the t-shirts and tumblers that yes. everybody carry on says. But it's, it's helpful that you just pointed out, I love that, that, okay, but where's that come from? Where does that meaning yeah. come from? Look, this is the, it's revealed in scripture. And then to take it the one step further that I was so grateful when I learned, I think probably even in seminary in high school when I was starting to discern kind of the call to the priesthood was that Christ shines this light back then even on the Old Testament and then just brings to light this full revelation of God's mercy that's present through the scriptures, through this narrative of, of mercy itself. Um, so yeah, where did that come from? Where did this innate kind of reality we have in our post-Christian culture that's woven into the fabric of society that we should just be kind, be good humans? Well, that comes from God's revelation of himself. So that's that's helpful that we have to seek that and find that in the scriptures to really shed light on even, even some of these things woven into our own culture. Yeah, there's a beautiful line in Isaiah 55 uh, that we talk about at points where says, right, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my waves above your ways, O Israel. And so God's ways are above our ways. But the particular thing that uh, Isaiah stresses there is that God's mercy. God is a God of forgiveness. He will forgive the sinner, pardon the wrongdoer. 
That's the real revelation. That's the absolute newness. You can't get that among human beings. I'm not saying human beings from time to time won't discover it. It's in accord with, you know, God's order. But fundamentally, it's that's at the heart of the biblical revelation. I think that's the mercy we need. And, um, and Dr. Dauphiné, how do you find that, that that mercy of the revelation speaks especially to this kind of outcast generation or those folks who feel especially outcast from the church? How does that revelation speak directly into their well, life? That well, I, I think in, in two ways. I, I think the first thing, when we talk about mercy, uh, we have to think about it in two ways. Um, often people think about it in terms of the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and I think that is absolutely true. But I think that most, many people today, especially people that have distance, are distanced from the church or have, or, or, or feel distance or feel separated from the church, the language of sin is sometimes an obstacle for certain people. Uh, and so one of the things I suggest is that if you think about it through the lens of shame, it's an easier way of understanding what the church in a way means by sin. Mm. Um, Because people think of sin as breaking a rule. It's like, you know, it's violating uh, the tax code or something. And it just seems external to them. But you say, is there anything you've ever done of which you're ashamed? Is there anything of which you're ashamed that you cannot let go of? Mm. You know, and what we want to say is that that's why Jesus went on the cross, (laughs) you know, Jesus went on the cross to take away your shame. Not, it's the, the ultimately right in the story of the Bible, it's really sin and the devil it's the, that say shame on you. And it's Jesus that says shame off you. I will take your shame away from you. So at least that's one thing I found when I work with younger people or with students or help them work with uh, other people, is if you speak about the lang- language of shame and that Jesus comes to remove our shame from us, that seems to really connect. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks thanks for that. Well, and that certainly um, resonates with what you and I, Father Travis, do, you know, in pastoral counseling and certainly in confession. You know, when people are just rattling off, well, I broke this rule, I broke this rule, there's not really a, a converted heart there, and, and one's not necessarily getting a sense that there's real contrition. But when someone starts to talk about their shame uh, in the context of, of pastoral counseling or confession, you know you're entering into very sacred ground because you're entering into some of the wounds of their heart, uh, and that's actually where they need an encounter with the living Lord the most. Um, Dr. Dauphiné, I, I want to ask you a question here about the title, uh, and I'm curious to know if, if that was something that you and Dr. Levering were kind of going back and forth or if it just naturally came to you. Because the title of the book, just to remind our listeners, is The Wisdom of the Word, the wisdom of the word. Um, wisdom is is obviously a very rich word. It holds a lot of meaning for a, kind of a religious a religious uh, minded people or even a philosophical people. But it might not always speak much to you know young people. Just for example, going through their everyday lives. You know, who really cares about wisdom and what is it and why do I need it? Right. So I'm just kind of curious. How did the title of the book come about in your vision? Yeah, well- yeah, one thing that was wonderful is that actually the title came from uh, some of the folks at the Wisdom, uh, the Word on Fire Press. Okay, um, Brandon Vote and a few others that were working with us um, were the ones who actually came up with that title. Our title had been more uh, like biblical answers to ten pressing questions about Catholicism or biblically renewing the Catholic Church. And the interesting thing is the argument of the book was really this idea that Scripture is intelligible, um, it's meaningful, and when we begin to come to know the whole story. 
It's like if you've ever learned a foreign language, at the beginning, it sounds like gobbledygook. And then at a certain point, you begin to understand what's going on. Even just watching football, at a certain point, you begin to understand the game. Well, so the idea there is that the Bible, when we show the way that from the Old Testament to the New, there's a coherent story of God's plan for us, and ultimately an invitation for us to enter into that story— uh, one theologian, uh, by the way, uh, that we mentioned in the introduction, talked about how that the Bible is God's story of Jesus, right? It's getting to know Jesus on God's terms. And I think we could also say in a way that the Bible helps us to get to know ourselves on God's terms. Who are we really as we were created by our loving creator, our loving father, and redeemed, of course, through his son and in the Holy Spirit? Um, that in a way, it's a challenge to us. But when we begin to see that big story, it's really the meaning of that story that then becomes meaningful for my life. And so in a certain sense, that's that notion of wisdom. The wisdom that comes forward is the sense that you're like, it's like when you really have a broken heart, you want to go to somebody who will genuinely listen to you, kind of validate you, accept where you are, and at the same time, give you some direction and guidance. And I think that's what we kind of want to do in the Bible, that when we are concerned, when people are struggling with questions or doubts, they can come in a way to this book that can ultimately come to the church, right? They can come to God's revelation and be open and honest about where they are. But the uh, right God in the Bible doesn't want to leave us there. And that's why we wrote the book, of course, is both to recognize where people are, but also to give them some guidance that we've learned through our own struggles and studies and working with people and teaching students for, you know, um, a couple decades by this point. Sure. You know, here on this podcast, we, we talk about a lot of different themes about people who are struggling with their faith. Uh, those who might think the church is completely outcasted and left field with some of her teachings, practices, or history but also those who are trying to be faithful and, and might be struggling, especially here in a Midwest context. Um, Dr. Dauphiné, I'd like to just take a look here just briefly at chapter 6. Um, the question that this chapter is looking at is, why not live and think like everybody else? You know, And obviously with your scripture background, you would know that you know, the ancient Israelites, being a, a monotheistic people, wanting to, to give their entire attention, their worship, their respect and honor towards the one living Lord were constantly pressured by, you know, surrounding, you know, cultures and countries with their pagan deities. Uh, and, and then to this day, you know, for anyone trying to be an authentic disciple of the Lord, following him, you know, there's lots of temptations and there's lots of pitfalls in the world to say, why not just fall in the traps and think like everybody else, act like everybody else, speak like everybody else. Certainly St. Paul was trying to address that in Romans um, but is there anything in, in particular that, that really prompted that chapter? Because I think it's a very poignant one. Well, I, I think it's a huge, um, it's kind of was a very important chapter for us. One, it's very important that we did it in chapter six. We can only talk, talk about kind of changing our moral behavior after we've really understood who God is, who he's curated us to be, how Christ has given himself in the world and on the cross ultimately for us out of love. So when we know that we've been created and that we've been loved by God and that we've also been wounded by sin and healed by the Holy Spirit, right? So all those other five chapters are very important before we get to this one. But then in light of that, the question is, how will we live differently? If we don't live differently, 
we will not be able to find peace. That's really the, the, the key theme. And I think one thing that's interesting is that, uh, and we talk about this in the book, we look at what does it mean to be holy? People, of course, have, I think the average person has very little idea what holiness means. It sounds kind of either like wearing a, whole, a halo around your head or being weird or all these different things. But fundamentally in the Old Testament, holiness really is an imitation of God. And it really means to imitate him by love. So in Leviticus 19, for instance, it'll say, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then in that same chapter in Leviticus, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So really at the root of this is what does it mean to love? Most people, if you talk about morality, they will begin to tune out. But if you think about friendship, right, what does it mean to be a true friend? What, is the, what does it really mean to love another person in a romantic relationship, in a friend relationship, in a family relationship? Love demands certain kinds of commitments, certain kind of promises. Now, if this is the case on a human level, then really in a way, morality as a whole is really nothing other than cooperation with God, cooperating with God's plan, right? And so that's kind of what we try to, we connected that idea. Holiness is really love, but love is rooted in relationships, both with our neighbor and with God. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus himself becoming the I, the kind of the standard of love. So now we can try to, because imitating God in a way is just too hard for us. Sure. So now we can imitate Jesus, right? Jesus can inspire us to trust in um, God. Jesus can inspire us to, um, you know, to try to like take the um, log out of our eye before correcting our neighbor. Uh, all these different elements. Um, and we have to have a certain sense that if we're not rooted in genuine love of our neighbor, we are genuinely rooted in often a certain kind of egocentric attitude. And that ego is often going to be expressed not only through the desire for pleasures, but also often through fears and angers. And I think that's something that, again, if you talk about kind of do you want to be in a state where you are afraid or anxious? Do you want to be in a state where you are angry and resentful? Now, I think a lot of people will say, I don't want to be angry and resentful, and I don't want to be um, depressed and anxious. And so I think it's also important to remember, those are the same sorts of emotions and passions that the gospel wants to draw us out of. Right? It's not just about avoiding certain pleasures. It's also avoiding certain unhealthy ways of dealing with fears and angers. That's ultimately what holiness is, because fear and anger and resentment and anxiety ultimately will make it harder for us to love our neighbor, will make it harder for us to be good friends, to have deep and meaningful relationships. So in the big picture, that's the way we try to talk about that. Don't be conformed to the world of broken relationships, right? But be conformed to the, really the best relationship, which is the relationship between the son and the father, between Jesus Christ and his father, which we now can imitate. Uh, so it's kind of a, that was a little bit of a long answer, but I really feel like it's a real, it's, it's can really become meaningful and hopeful when we connect it to um, liberating ourselves from the ways that our egos can entrap us, right? Yeah. So I say like ego is like edging God out of the picture. We need to kind of basically 
bring God back in so that we can really be our true selves and be the selves we want to be for other people and for ourselves. Yeah. Dr. Daphne, that's so helpful. And I mean, I wish we would have a, like a two hour long podcast instead of a 20 minute you know, sure. kind of treadmill <laughs> style, but uh, we could keep talking about this all day because it is so beautiful. God's the story of Jesus re- revealed through his mercy and his love. So thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Um, I know it's encouraged me to, dive deeper into the scriptures myself, even just in this quick conversation. Um, yeah. Hearing all that well, you've shared with us. Yeah. Well, that, well that's wonderful. I, um, you know, I really just want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to be on the podcast. It's been great. Uh, the book is available at wordonfire.org slash wisdom. And, um, you know, we definitely wrote the book. Uh, I said, not only for people who are questioning, but also for people who know people that are questioning. And I find that in this day and age where, our, our kind of somewhat our faith in God and our faith in the Bible is just kind of under attack everywhere we turn, that it's a wonderful opportunity, even just for me to write the book and to write the book with Matthew Levering helped strengthen my faith and gave me uh, just a deeper um, kind of deeper connection and insight into the Bible as a source of meaning and truth. So I hope it can be that way for, you know, for uh, listeners as well. Totally. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Um, I mean, the book just weaves together some great biblical passages, but as you say, it's also trying to present these things to a, a modern reader, a modern audience, you know, that has questions that wants to be uh, answered on a deeper level than just kind of some academic lingo. So, so well done. Uh, just to remind our listeners from the Word on Fire Institute, that this new book is called "The Wisdom of the Word: Biblical Answers to Ten Pressing Questions About Catholicism." by Dr. Michael Dauphiné and Dr. Matthew Levering. Dr. Dauphiné, thank you again for joining us here on Outcast Catholic. Uh, keep up the good work and uh, just know of our prayers, and let's keep supporting you and all the people at the Word on Fire Institute. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless. God bless.